I, I know my faith is always growing. I mean, I, my hope and prayer is that it's higher next year and the year after year after. But I just look at like my life, the trajectory I was on and to experience what God can do for God to get us through the things he's gotten us through, for God to take all the garbage that we dealt with in Planning Collective and to turn it from bitterness into passion and desire and health and and strength, you know, boundaries, like all the things that came from it. It's like, I just, God is just so good. I think we both feel very like unworthy of the roles that we have been placed in by God, but we're very grateful. Absolutely. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast, a podcast where people from Collective Church sit down and share their stories and talk about life and faith and the highs and lows and what God has done and is doing in their life. This is part two of my wife, Ray, and I sharing kind of our church planting journey, a little bit of our our personal story mixed in with um, our ministry story slash life leading up to where we are today with Collective. And so... um, this is a really good place to start because we're kind of at a turning point. And, um, but this is a part two episode. So I do want to encourage you, um, maybe pause right now, jump back to part one and hear how we get to this point right now. Um, because it really wasn't smooth and it really wasn't one of those things where Ray or I both were like, this is the dream and therefore we're living the dream and the dream is coming true. It was, uh, it was trial after trial, frustration after frustration, trying to figure this whole thing out. I also want to say this, this is the last episode of season one. So um, you'll have a few months before we start season two. So I just want to encourage you finish this one up and then jump back to the beginning and, and listen to these stories. They are absolutely worth your time. And we believe that they will grow your faith and grow your trust in God and who he is and also help you as you go through the highs and lows and the storms of life. And then with season two coming up, if you're interested in sharing your story, we would love for you to do that. And so you can do that one of two ways. You can sign up at www.mycollective.church YSM or open up your church center app and click on Your Story Matters at the bottom and sign up um, because season two will kick off in January. And um, if you're a part of Collective, we'd love for you to share your story. And so to catch back up on where we ended episode one, um, I'd just gotten fired from church in Glen Burnie, had all but given up on ministry and this calling. And really for us at that point, almost like this 10-year journey together, um, starting from like meeting each other and dating and, you know, you learning about what church planting is and wrestling with whether or not that was what you felt God was also calling you to be a part of and you know, being a minister's wife and all the things that come with that. And we're at this like bottoming out point where I think again, like our whole journey to starting collective is kind of like this seesaw where when I'm low, you're high. And when you're low, I'm high, right? Like where you finally have a job teaching and you're at a good school and you have good teachers around you, friends of ours from the church, that I got fired from, yeah. which made it really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you, you're like, I'm in the career I want to be in, and there I am bottoming out. And um, so we go to Mosaic, and to be honest, like we were just like this. Like, th- this is what we need. We need a church where they're talking about real things, um, where the preacher is challenging us 
every single week where there's good worship, where you can be in an environment where you can sing and not have to worry about everyone else around you hearing them. A place where they were celebrating baptism after baptism. You mean non-Christian, lost people being found, like all these things. And I remember us making the decision after going to Mosaic for a few weeks, going more than anything in our life, we need good church. Whether it's me working there or not, like we need to be a part of a good church and this is a good church. So I'm going to just get whatever job I can get. And we're just going to lean in here because we'd kind of given up on the ministry stuff. And we did that for a while. Um, Well, and I think we realized like that time that we had in Tennessee where we weren't going to a church and life was so hard. mm -hmm. Like the thing that we were missing was a church that could be an anchor for us and like a safe place when everything else was going wrong. And so we felt, you know, you had just gotten fired (laughs) and we felt like everything else kind of going wrong and being at Mosaic every week felt safe and it felt like that anger that we needed. And so we realized like that was what was missing from Tennessee and made Tennessee so much harder. And so whatever else happens in Maryland, that is a thing that we need. Yeah. We would rather be a part of a good, healthy, thriving, biblical church than work in one that isn't. Yes, yeah. And serve in one that isn't. Definitely. And I think we knew that. Yeah. I mean, we we felt it in Tennessee, and yeah. we, we knew it, but we were so worried about just, like, being able to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and also, like, the calling. Like, I, I was really confused. Yeah. Like, God, like, I feel called to do this what the heck is going on, you know, and kind of ignoring the fact that like along the way I had made some bad decisions, you know, with, with taking the job in, in Glen Burnie, I'm a big fan of you reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. And looking back, the church was very unhealthy. So like, we're not going to pretend like it wasn't, um, but I shouldn't have been there in the first place, you know? And it was kind of me now looking back going, nah, man, that was, that was, that was on me. And I think, we had this like detour because of that church that God was like, you don't have to go down that detour. And I'm like, I'm going to do the safe thing. Cause I have a fear of rejection. Six months later, you're fired. Like, cool. Like bottoming out. <laughs> so after a few months at mosaic, um, I had some friends in the area who found out that I got fired and, um, they were like, you should come work for us. I was hesitant. You know, we loved mosaic and we loved being there. But at the same time, like that, that, that itch, that calling. And really at this point, I think it, it started to become like a chip on my shoulder or a frustration. It was ne- like starting collective never started as I'm a jaded person and I'm starting a church because I'm angry at all these other churches. It started as the church changed. Jesus changed my life through a church plant. And my goodness, I just want as many people as possible to experience that, that I, that I can imagine. Mm-hmm. But after going through these really bad church experiences, a lot of it became, no, we need to start a church because we don't want to do what these other churches have done to us, essentially. And so we were still living in Glen Burnie, so we're kind of halfway in between um, the Columbia area and Annapolis. And some of my friends had started a church down there called Revolution, and they were like, hey, you should come work for us. Um, but here's the deal. Like, you just got fired from a church, and so we're not sure that you are healthy. Like, maybe it's you, maybe it's not them. Are you volatile? So we'd love for you for the next three months, uh, next well, it's supposed to be just a few months, to work unpaid so we can see, are you a healthy person? And again, it's just one of these things that we do in ministry where we just, like, 
run people around. And it, this is a really bad culture in ministry. Um, I actually, you know, we have a church planning resident here right now. And I said to him the other day, like, if you have people on your staff that aren't paid, like you're abusing them. It, it just doesn't work that way. And there's a lot of people at Collective who've shared even on this podcast who have been quote unquote staff members at churches and it's like an unpaid position or they're quote unquote staff members working quarter time, but they're putting in full time hours. And that's just a garbage thing that the church does. And so, um, again, I didn't know that at the time. And so I said yes to doing this. Like, yeah, I mean, like I'll, I'll come on staff. I've got a little bit of severance left and, um, the whole thing was like, come on staff for a few months. And if you do well, then we think you could do a church planning residency. So again, like just pursuing this calling and this goal. So I started down in that church in August and it was good. It's a good church. They were growing like crazy. In January of the next year, we, we went through assessment again. Essentially, it's this group that decides whether or not you can plan a church. And I think assessment is great. We do assessments for church planters. I'm, we've, you and I have assessed church planters. We are a part of one that's way healthier. In fact, the one that we went through was called CPAC. It doesn't exist anymore because they realized that more of it was trying to get people to fail rather than trying to figure out where the soft spots or weak spots are to help them succeed. They were nervous about me specifically because I had gotten fired from a church, and that always scares people. And so there were some red flags with us going into it. And so we go into this assessment and like, it feels like our future is on the line. It was a lot of pressure. A ton of pressure. And we get there and we're just running the table on everything. Like it's, it's all tests. It's group tests, individual tests, personality tests, assessment tests. At the end of every project, you like vote on the most valuable person and you end up getting more votes than anybody else as the most valuable. And I end up second, yeah. meaning... You know, and just so that's clear for everybody listening, like Ray beat all the other church planters. <laughs> While I'm there, I go at it with a dude who said that we're not qualified to church plant because we didn't have kids at the time, which is a biblical misunderstanding of the qualifications. He was just, he was just upset because I beat him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he Well, he was coming from a, a what is a bad church experience. He was actually part of Mars Hill, which if you've heard of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, this guy's actually on the podcast, which is like a great irony. And it is, he's actually portrayed as like a hero in this podcast. And that like really was hard for me listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And all of a sudden, you know, this pastor's talking about how terrible his boss was. And it's like, bro, I went through assessment with you. You did the same thing to us that your boss did to you, where you said that we weren't qualified because we didn't have kids. And he didn't know why we didn't have kids. It was just a choice at that point. You know, we didn't think we'd be good parents, so we weren't having kids. And, like, he and I went at it in the middle of this assessment. One of our friends who was there to assess us was like, hey, man, you can't do that. And it's like this whole game that is church planting. And so we get through the end of the weekend. Which I feel like it should be said that I did well probably, and I will say, most definitely because I'm very good at playing the game yeah. and not necessarily because I should be a church planter. Sure. We had been through it before. Yeah. Also, you have a good personality for the things that like you look for in staff members. Well, for the things that they were testing for, which are not necessarily Correct. good things for church planting. Correct. They just wanted someone who was easy to get along with yep. and liked people. Yep. And I knew what they wanted. And so I was that person yep. for them. Yep. So I played the game well, but I should not be a church planter. Yeah. Well, and they even <laughs> said at one point, they're like, you guys should consider doing this together. And we're like, that goes against everything that we've ever known is true about us, which is the reason why you're not called pastor or co-pastor. Yeah. Because like one, I don't think churches should have a married couple at the top, 
right? That's weird. And you're <laughs> all these churches that fall apart and they're like, we didn't see it coming. It's like the number one and number two people are married and they're sleeping together and they're in the same house, you know, like they share a bank account. That's weird. It's not a lot of know? checks and balances. Not a lot of checks and balances. Sleeping with the person who's in charge. Um, but also for you, like that wasn't what you were called to do. And so we get through this assessment and they yellow light us. Um, it's not a red saying no. It's not a green saying yes. Again, like just, I mean, I was angry, but really it's heartbroken. At the time before therapy, all of your emotions were anger. Yes. And we ask our friend and we're like, you've got to be kidding me. And he wasn't supposed to give us this information. He's still someone who I'm really close to. He has helped Collective be a great church because when I get stuck on things, I go to him. And he wasn't supposed to share kind of the behind the scenes, but he did. And he said, hey, like, here's the deal. There's two things. One, they were concerned about us not having kids. They just didn't think we had enough life experience, which is the irony of like, I'm sorry, I grew up in a house full of life experience. My dad left when I was 14. Like we've moved to different states to try to be a part of different churches. I've been fired. I've, you know, ended it well. Like we've, we've been through the ringer for this. And then the second thing they said was that I was too introverted. And that was it. Um, we get out of the assessment. Um, ultimately, we, I got offered a job three months later as a church planning resident but it was with a lot of hesitation from this organization. Um, so at that point, I'd been working at that church for eight months unpaid, which in the end, looking back now, like it wasn't cool, like what our family had to endure to, to do that. But there I am, like, hey, I got the church planning residency. It's actually a split residency um, between Revolution and Mosaic. It's the day-to-day at Revolution, so it's like the Monday through Sunday, like normal staff member job stuff. And then Mosaic is all like leadership and preaching. And we'd go there on Saturday nights because they had Saturday night services at the time and just busy. We're living in Annapolis at the time. What's crazy is that neither church paid for the residency. Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky did, um, which is essentially the church that kind of started a lot of the church planning on this side, which was really cool. Um, They didn't really know us, but they believed in us enough to pay for it. And for the next year and a half, I was like double dipping, going back and forth and back and forth and um, writing sermons to preach to the staff at Mosaic while doing like day-to-day stuff at Revolution, um, all the while just trying to get to this point of getting the thumbs up to plant a church. And again, Revolution, we met some incredible people, um, people that we're still close to today, people we still love today. There was a lot of healing at Revolution, and for the most part, it was going really well. Annapolis as a city like wasn't really our vibe, um, but we felt safe enough to where we were like, hey, I think maybe it's time to have kids. And you got pregnant while we were there, and our friends around us were also getting pregnant, which was cool, and Elise was born, and we got to you know, take her home from the hospital to our small little in-law's house that we were living in in Annapolis, and And we neared the time of the end of the residency and there was a ton of hype and they were hyping us up like, you know, Michael and Ray, they're going to go plant this church in Maryland. Like we're so excited. And, you know, I'm speaking at like network meetings about the Maryland project, which is what we were calling it at the time. We had all this energy behind us and that fall of, I think 2015, we get the thumbs up 
and they're like, okay, like we still think you're too introverted. Um, but we're going to, you know, we're going to go send you to plant this church. And so while living in Annapolis, we started fundraising, we, which was like, I mean, I have a list, a spreadsheet of like 200 and plus people in my life that we had known who were sending letters to going, Hey, will you financially get this church off the ground? A meeting with churches who we'd been like loosely connected with or connected to saying, Hey, we're trying to start this church. We sign an MOU, which is called a memorandum of understanding with an organization, um, which was a church planning organization, the same one that revolution was a part of. And, and some of the staff members there were on staff at this organization. And we just, we were like, here it is like all this hard work, like everything we had fought for is coming down to it's go time, you know, a year from the day, you know, or a year from that month, we were going to start this church in who knows where. And man, did it fall apart super fast. We at that point had known that it was Frederick. We'd started calling ourselves the Frederick project. We had an LLC. Um, we had a board, you know, we had these churches that came together to be on what's called our management team. They'd each committed $50,000. So we, we probably had $300,000 committed. Um, we had like 75 grand in our bank account. Like we were cruising, like everything was going well. And then it wasn't. We had had one organization tell us they weren't going to partner with us because they didn't think Frederick was sexy enough, which was really hard because Frederick's the second largest city in Maryland. It's the fastest growing city in Maryland. I think Frederick's incredible. We had fallen in love with the city. We had another organization, actually the organization that was started by the church I grew up with, who said, we won't partner with you because you're with that other organization. And then like working with the organization we were with, they lied to us in our MOU. One of the lies that they had said was, hey, as soon as you get fundraising, you'll get paid. And we signed that contract. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, you have to have $75,000 before you get paid. And at that point, again, we're here, here we are in this limbo where the church is <laughs> expecting us to go unpaid, and, which was, and we had a baby, you know, so it was even more stressful. Also, we were getting ready to move to Frederick. And then on top of it, as we tried to explain the type of church we wanted to start, they kept telling us no. And when I was like, I want to be, you know, I, th I think we th think we're going to go with church for the rest of us. And they're like, no, you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. And I was like, I think, you know, we want to be called a collective. Like, I don't know if you should do that. I don't know if you should do that. Like, you know, I think we're going to aggressively pursue non-Christian people. How do we, you know, you really shouldn't do that. You really shouldn't do that. And I was on a call in the fall with this guy who was like my project manager. And I just said to him, I was like, man, we're, and we're really just like a few months into this. Like I'm not getting paid, even though they said I would be. Um, we are technically like still attending like the, you know, Revolution Mosaic, some combo of these, these two churches. But like we know it's temporary. So it's like weird. It's like our church home, but it's not our church home. And I remember telling this guy like, hey, I, there's a lot of you guys telling us what we can and cannot do. Um, on top of it, they weren't giving us money, but they expected us to give them money. And it's like, I'm paying you to project manage. And, and really a big thing was like, we're gonna pay you money to plant churches not on the East Coast, because they were like a national company um, organization. And I, I really struggled with like, yeah, hey, it's not that I don't think Indiana needs more churches, you know? Like, I think Ray would have loved to grow up in a good church plant. But like, I don't want our money to go toward planting more churches in, in Kentucky and Indiana. Like, man, I want more churches in DC and in, in Maryland, Virginia, Richmond area. And ultimately 
I told the guy on the phone, I was like, I, I think I just need a weekend to think about this. And so I said, I just want to pause everything. And I really want to wrestle with is, are you guys the right organization for us? Because everything that we're doing right now, we're running into walls. And so I get off the phone and it's like just a Friday. Like it's just a casual Friday for us. And I get a phone call like 30 minutes later from one of the guys on our management team. And he was like, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't know what I did. Like literally, I don't know what I did. And he's like, we just got a phone call from your project manager saying, you are not planning this church. It's like, I have no idea what he said to you. All, and, and I'm trying to explain. All I said was, I just need, we, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. Like this, you don't, they don't seem like the right organization for what we want to do. They just keep telling us that what we're trying to do with this church, like isn't right. And this guy on the phone's like, you can still fix this. And I'm like, I don't know what's broken here. And he's like, you need to fix this. You can still fix this. And I got off the phone and you and I talked and it was like, I, I don't know if I want to, to quote unquote fix this because I thought when we went to plant a church, these churches and these organizations would get together and we'd plant this church and it was just politics mm. and it was just drama and it was just, to be honest, like what's wrong about the church when it comes to unity, where it's like, well, we're not going to work with them and we're not going to work with them and we're not going to work with them. And so that weekend we took time to pray about it. Um, I think at this point, um, our friends had uh, both the Wells and the Thompsons had said, hey, we're moving with you. And so we called them. And we're like, hey, just a heads up. Like, something's going wrong. We're not really sure what it is. Little did we know during that weekend, like, all the church pastors and, like, the the president of this church planning organization were together. And they decided during that weekend, without another follow-up conversation, to dissolve the Frederick Project. And I got a call back that Monday, and they said, hey, we've decided not to move forward with you as a church planter. You need to give all the money back, and good luck. And it was terrifying. I was, I was again, angry because that's the feeling. I um, feel like anger was justified in that circumstance. Yeah. I was also angry. Yeah. And I had to reach out to all of our friends. who, Like, we had raised 75000 from our friends, and they forced us to give it back, mm-hmm. which legally isn't their – they have no right to do that, but then they dissolved our LLC, so then we had to give it back. It was insane. Yeah. It went from, man, this is what God called us to do, to here we go again. Like, we're in this place of 100%. And, I, and to this day, I fight for this. We made the right decision to not just bend over. Well, and it, it like it, it was frustrating because it was very much you saying, I'm, we're not going to play a game here, which I think like a lot of our experience up until then had been like trying to do the right thing and play the game in some way in order to get people to like us enough to give us money, you know, yeah. so that we could just do this thing that God had called us to. And you like you pushed back on... I, this doesn't feel right. I don't want to play a game. I want to do what I feel like God has called me to do. Yeah. And and they got mad because you didn't play the game right. Yeah. Which is like everything that both of us have always hated about church. Yeah. Is I mean, it's like the whole reason I didn't want to be a pastor's wife is it felt like a game, and I I don't want. I don't want to ever feel like I'm not who I really am, and it felt like that same thing with collective it was like this is who collective is 
and they were like, no, we want collective to be more like yeah. this. Yeah. And we're like, no, the whole point of collective is for it to not be like this. Yeah. And they didn't like that. Yeah. And I went from, you know, the media darling, um, this really hyped church planner to blacklisted. Disgrace. In a weekend. Yeah. Yep. Um, I remember at one point calling my boss or my, my former boss talking to him about it, right? Because we didn't do this in a silo. You know, I called I called Dan at Momentum, my first boss, and I asked him, hey, man, what do I do? And he said, you need to fire that organization because if they're, if they're not allowing you to be you and collective to be collective, which, again, we didn't know it was collective at the time, but, like, collective to be what you, God has put on your heart, then you can't start that way because it'll be that way for the next 10 or 15 years. I called Carl, my mentor, and Carl was like, you're ridiculously in control your situation. Make a decision. Uh, and then I called my other boss, and he said, no matter what decision you make, we've got your back. And so it wasn't just this decision is how it was not an irrational decision. Like I've made a lot of irrational decisions in my life out of fear of failure, fear of rejection. And this wasn't it. This was very much God saying, this isn't right. And it's funny because like I had experienced that with Glenn Burney before where God was saying, this isn't right. And I did the opposite. And so with this, it was like, I can't do that again. The irony is the consequences were (laughs) still the same. (laughs) And, um, Man, it was awful. And so it was like the fall of that year. We had a five-month-old at home. We had friends that were moving to Maryland to help us start this church. And that next Sunday, uh, I went to my home church. We, we went together, and we bumped into the lead pastor there. And he was like, why are you here? And I was like, well, I've got a story to tell you. And um, so that week, he was like, come out to lunch. Let's Let's do lunch. And we talked, and he you know, challenged me really hard and pushed me a lot and validated a lot of our feelings. And he's like, I want you to meet a friend of mine because, you know, they, as a church, they were part of the supporting of us financially. They're like, we're going to, we're supporting you. We're not supporting your organization. So come meet with this guy, Tim Cole from Waypoint. So I met with Tim and he was like, well, you know, in the past two years, you've been fired from a church and you blew up an MOU with, churches that are pretty massive and (laughs) giving you a ton of money. So we're worried. And he was like, you know, we love planning churches, but we don't know if you are a volatile person or not. You clearly have issues with authority. So it was like, hey, we will agree to walk with you for the next year to see, like, what's going on. And at that point, um, we had decided – I don't know if this is public, but we had decided, like, we're planning the church anyways. Yeah. Like, whether or not we get financial support from other churches or an organization to help us start, like, the calling is the calling. The burden is the burden. We've been through way too much, and this is way too clear, that we're going to do this anyways. But we know the best way to do it is to have a supporting organization, have churches, you know, to be on your management team. But at that point, we are like, we're moving. We're getting the heck out of here, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, so I joined the church planning cohort that they were doing. I started going to therapy every single week. I flew to Texas to go through another assessment, um, with Dr. LaGrange, who is now a great friend to both of us. We love him dearly. And while there, he told me, he's like, you are introverted, but, um, you are like 60, 40 
And he's like, just create a good environment and you will always feel safe and you will always thrive. And he was the one who actually gave me a real assessment and gave me actually like actionable things. And I remember coming back and telling you like, oh my gosh, I'm an introvert. And it's not him saying you're introverted. This is your problem. It's you're introverted. Use the good things about introversion to start a good church and also understand you're not extroverted. So find people to come with you. And I was like, I've got those people. And so he was like the first person who, who like acknowledged that like people are who they are and that doesn't make them right or wrong. They just are. And so, you know, for you, that was like, this is who you are. That doesn't mean that you need to change yourself. That means that you need to play to your strengths and you need to recognize what those strengths are and make a better church because of it. Yeah. Which was like, everything eye-opening you know i mean it was like a weight off your shoulders because you had heard that at cpac you're too introverted Mm -hmm. you're too introverted and you know like you always preach about words stick with you Mm -hmm. and like those words had stuck with you and matthew just kind of like yeah (laughs) and that was so wonderful yeah and so we started this year-long grind um during that year we moved to frederick which we skipped over this part of the story, but when visiting cities, um, we had Towson, Gaithersburg, Alexandria, and Arlington were kind of on the list as like, we could probably do this. Um, Frederick was like bottom. Yeah. We were like, I mean, we could, but, you know, we had heard it's like not very sexy. Yeah. You know? It's not a sexy city. So, um, <laughs> we're like, oh, no, we want to be sexy. <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah. Uh, so we looked at Towson and we went one weekend and we hated it. We did hate it. Yep. It was awful. And one of the supporting churches at the time said, if you plant in Towson, we won't give you money as well. The irony is, in the end, they didn't really give us money anyways. Wasn't it because they were going to plant a they were church campus. in they were going to campus? They were going to campus in Towson, and they didn't yep. want us competing with them. Yep. In how many people is Towson? I mean, it's big, and like <laughs> I and I I get it. We looked at Gaithersburg. Gaithersburg was cool, really crowded, um, but you know, two seventy separates the poor and rich communities, and specifically the way it works is then you end up being a church that's either you you essentially the way it works in Gaithersburg is you're either a white church that has money that serves the poor community, which tends to be the minority community out there, or you're a white pastor trying to start a church in a poor community where, to be honest, the rich, wealthy people on the other side of the highway won't go there. And it was like, this doesn't make sense. Like, if someone wants to plant a church in Gaithersburg, it needs to be from the start, like a church that understands diversity and culture. And to be honest, the Christian church in general is just really white. And I was like, we went to a school with a thousand kids and like 997 of them were white. (laughs) And so it was like, I don't think that I can have a diverse, I can find a worship leader who's not white. You know, it's just, it's kind of one of those things. And then we visited Frederick and you fell in love way before I did. I, we, we went to a restaurant downtown and it was I mean, you guys have all been to downtown Frederick. It's it's cute and it's artsy yeah. and, you know, sidewalks and painted doors. And I just loved, I loved the feel of it. Like it yeah. felt whimsical. And I very much make some big life choices 
based on the way I feel about yeah. things. I yeah. chose to go to Milligan because when I toured it, it rained and it had this like wonderful feeling yeah. and that turned out to be a really great choice. Um, so what are the, it's like a personality assessment that judges like how you make your decisions and one is like emotional and one is logical and I'm very much an emotional yeah. decision yeah. maker. And so, yeah, I just, I really loved the vibe, the downtown vibe and I liked the people like moving here from the Midwest and experiencing like the people in this area. Like we obviously have met really nice people, but like strangers in this area are not as friendly as strangers in the Midwest are. And that was always something that was really hard for me because I was just so used to strangers smiling at you and, you know, being friendly. And um, I felt like Frederick had like a little bit of that vibe, like not quite as much as the Midwest. And if you've never been to the Midwest, you know, just if you ever visit, you don't know that person. Yeah. They're just saying hi. But they are waving at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just felt like a little bit more like a small town, even though it had like some some of the big city things that I love. And I do love cities. And so it almost was like the best of both worlds. And I loved that about it. And the people here felt like us. Like they felt the mm-hmm. same, like they felt like, you know, the way that the same stage of life that we were in, you know, there were like young couples with children and we had Elise with us and, and that felt good. It felt like a place that I could also understand. And I think like the other places being from this area, you understood and you got the culture of, but I was just not as comfortable in them because like Towson is very close to Baltimore and like, I love visiting Baltimore, but uh, like, I don't get the people there as much as I get the people in Frederick and I don't feel like I fit in as much as I felt like I fit in in Frederick. And so it felt comfortable. It felt, it felt like home. Yeah. I think Frederick is the first in, in all the decision-making and all the like trying to trust God and follow God and all that stuff. There's like certain parts along our story, specifically as we talk about planning this church where we both were like, Oh yeah. You know? And Frederick was one of those places where, it wasn't just me saying, I think this is the place where God wants us to be. It was actually you saying, I want to live here. Yeah. yeah. And, um, we, you know, after we visited, we, uh, it's a crazy story. I posted a picture on Facebook, my old youth minister and his wife, they saw it and they're like, oh, our best friends live in Frederick. You should meet them. And I'm like, heck no, I'm not meeting strangers. And, <laughs> but you and Chris and Maggie were like, we should meet these people. And, uh, this couple named Tara and Andy who were complete strangers to us invited us to their house. Yeah. They fed us dinner. Yeah. And then we just said like, I don't know, talk about church stuff here. And they had a young family. And I remember Tara saying like, it'd be really nice if you guys planted a church here. Mm-hmm. And we, we got in the car to drive home that day. And you and Chris and Maggie were all like, this is where we should be. And I was like, I don't know. It'd be nice if God gave us a sign. And you were like, <laughs> She literally asked us to plant a church here. <laughs> what else do you need? And you were right. Like there were just so many things about Frederick that felt right. And so when everything blows up, we're in this like weird place of we definitely feel like Frederick's where we're supposed to be. Wasn't top on the list. I mean, you know, honestly, I I wanted to avoid it because I grew up in Loudoun County, and Frederick is similar to Loudoun. I don't want to do that again, but I want to be in this area. And we made the decision, like, we're going to we're gonna plant this church no matter what. People are either going to do it with us or they're not. And we moved up to Frederick in March. It was snowing. 
which made no sense. The day that we moved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And things at that point, like they were still really messy, were going a little bit better. Um, we still didn't have an organization supporting us. We still didn't have money. Um, this was 2016. So we thought we'd plant in 2016. And we're like, this isn't going to happen until 2017. I haven't been paid in eight months. Um, and we get to freaking Frederick and we're moving into this house. We've got an almost one year old. And the next morning I get a call from my mom, which like my mom doesn't really call me. Um, we, we text and we, we do talk on the phone, but like, this was like, why is she calling me? And she was like, Hey, your dad's in the hospital. He's about to die. You need to get down here right now. And it was like, we've been here for one day right? Like, come on, man. Like what is going on? So I drive to the hospital and my dad and I had a really rough relationship at the time. We have a better relationship now, but it was like this weird mix of like, I'm sad that my dad's going to die. I'm angry at him because our relationship sucks. And the surgeons did a great job and, um, he ended up living, but he was diagnosed with lung cancer and it was like, again, here we are. And it's like, goodness gracious, like, God, can we just plant a church? <laughs> like, why does everything have to be so hard? Like nothing, nothing had been easy up to that point. And I think it, I mean, it'd been, I mean, we've been together for eight years at that point, eight years of pain. You know, I don't, I don't know. We, I mean, what stayed true through it all is we had great friends, you know, but again, like we, there we are with one income, a baby, you know, one-year-old who was wonderful and chaotic. And all we want to do is plant this church and it's just not happening. So I guess one of the questions I want to ask you before we kind of move forward in the story is, you know, when we get to Frederick and we still don't have a management team and I'm unpaid, like, did you ever feel like or I guess at any part of this, were, were there parts of you where your faith struggled or if you had doubts about this? Like, you know, when we talk about it in a linear fashion, which we don't often get to do, it's a really not great eight years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that there were definitely, I feel like those are two different questions. Doubts about church planting, for sure. You know, it's hard to not doubt something when you feel like you're constantly running into opposition. But I was optimistic, naively probably optimistic, that, like, it would work out. And it did, obviously. So I guess maybe not so naively. But I just, I I always felt like it'll work out. Um, But that doesn't mean that I... Like there were a lot of times where I wanted to go back to that that feeling that we had when you took that job in Glen Burnie where it was like, we just need you to have an income, yeah. you know, we just need stability. And like we had just had a baby and I had a stable job, which was great, but you did not and like hadn't really ever no. had I mean- stability in your career. And, you know, so there's the part of you that that has faith and, like, trusts that God knows what he's doing and believes that. And then there's somehow also the same part of you or another part of you in the same body <laughs> that is, like, 
this is I just need safety I just need stability like this is this is too much turmoil and upheaval and unknown and um and you know you see other people who work just stable normal jobs and you're like envious of that life because it's it's so sure and so calm and in some ways I don't ever I've never really wanted that you know I've never wanted the yeah the husband and the kids and the big house. And, um, you know, I always said I was never going to get married and have kids. And so, um, so I mean, like, you know, the white picket fence kind of life was not ever something that I dreamed for myself. But living in the actual, like, day-to-day of you not having an income or you getting fired from a job or, you know, dissolving <laughs> an MOU, um is tumultuous and that's hard and so um even though i knew even though i felt god saying like it will be okay like you we will get through this like the the day-to-day of that of like holding on to that hope and that assurance from god was difficult yeah and so there were many times and i don't always say out loud the things that i think which is good <laughs> but there were many times in my head i was like we just need to give up on this like yeah. this is this is too much um we need to be realistic we need to stop hoping for bigger or better and just settle yeah um and you know and sometimes that came out as frustration toward you mm-hmm. and sometimes that came out as frustration toward the church yeah. and I wouldn't say like I ever doubted my faith like I never I don't think of that I ever felt like God you have abandoned me but I would say like the church as an organization I was like not super happy with (laughs) and because it felt like the things that had happened to us were like directly from churches like churches had done this to us pastors leaders in the church had done these things to hurt us without any regard for us as people, as parents of a child, as a couple who was, you know, trying to be in a marriage that was strong, um, or as just like human beings who are trying to make it through life. Um, And I think that that happens a lot to people. And I think that that's like often a thing that pulls people away from the church is when they're just treated as like, when they're treated as not human and that they don't matter. So yeah, I mean, I definitely lost my faith (laughs) in the church in many ways throughout all of this, Um, which maybe made wanting to start collective like... Yeah, that's when it became like a chip on our shoulder. Yeah, it was like, we're going to start a church that is not like these churches, that doesn't do crap like that to people like us. Yeah, when we were in Colorado a few months ago we got to share part of this story and you know, it was the abridged version cause I had an hour, but a lot of people afterward were like, man, thank you for not giving up on this or specifically like, why did you not give up on this? Cause there, I think there are many times where we could have pushed the eject button and like we could have pivoted uh, one, I have a ministry degree. So it was like, it's not as easy to pivot. Cause like, what do you do with that? But also like I had applied for other jobs in Tennessee and Glen Burnie jobs that I was like very qualified for that I wouldn't get. And it was like, this doesn't make sense. Like I can do this job. Nope. Wasn't getting the jobs. I think in the end for me, it sucks what we went through, but the calling never felt false. 
there was there's never been a moment where I've stepped back and said, nope, this isn't what God has asked us to do. I think we both felt that even going back to Milligan when we, you know, we're dating and I'm talking about church planting and lost people. And, you know, I'm probably one of the few people at Milligan that didn't grow up in the church. And you and I start talking about some of the tensions we have at this school that's like all Christian kids. And it's like, not all the kids here are Christians. There's a lot of athletes there that don't follow Jesus. And yet we treat them as if they do follow Jesus. And, you know, I think a lot of the tensions that that we felt and that we, that I think were new to you, but things that like I like brought to the table, like, Hey, we should wrestle with this when it comes to chapel, you know, on Thursday that not everybody here loves Jesus. So why are we acting like they do, you know? And like, even going back that far, there was just like so much clarity on one, you and I being together and two, like, okay, like if you and I are together, I guess church planting is a part of that together. And I don't know. Maybe it's stubbornness. I don't know. Like there's like a little bit of approving a point in this. There's a little bit of like the way that we were told like churches have to function where it's the lead pastor and lead pastor's wife. And it's, you know, this politic and this politic and, you know, kissing babies and, you know, all that stuff. Like I almost felt more impassioned to like, no, like this is why we have to do this because like there are some culture things that need to be fixed or there's some church things that need to be fixed. Or if we're going through this, other people have to be going through this. And, um, which now, you know, years later we look back and see a lot of our friends went through similar, you know, going through the ringers to try to be on staff at churches or start churches. And in the end they just end up broken and in pain. And so, you know, that was kind of us and we kept going in the fall of 2016, uh, Waypoint was like, hey, like, we think you're awesome. We think your wife's awesome. We hate what's happened, but like, let's start this church. And so I went back to all the churches that were originally a part of the first deal and said, hey, like, it's been a year. I've been going to therapy every week. Um, you know, I've reconciled some of those relationships that fell apart. Like, I've owned my portion of it. I've sat down with people to apologize for my anger, my disappointment didn't apologize for not playing the game they wanted us to play. But, you know, I took ownership, you know, like we love the book Extreme Ownership at Collective. I took extreme ownership of my stuff. And I was like, so like, you know, let's do this. And every single one of the churches said no. Like at that point, again, we'd done everything they asked. And they're like, no, we're not, we're not, we're not doing this with you. Um, We had a church that promised us a Christmas Eve offering. Dude wouldn't take my calls again. Uh, And he was the friend of a girl I grew up with. The church that I worked in for a year and a half, eight of months, eight of which the months were unpaid, we can't do this. Three of the churches that promised $150,000 decided to give us 50. The churches, all together. All together, yeah. Uh, the churches that had been with us from the start uh, that cared about us more than they cared about politics, they were still with us. You know, Momentum in Ohio uh, gave Collective a, a good amount of money, which is incredible incredible because like we're not in Ohio you know they're they paid they gave us money to help seek and save lost people here mosaic did my home church and Chantilly did uh, we we met a guy uh, named Larry Veach who's a pastor out at a church called New Life in Winchester Virginia Craig Bishop's now the pastor there and I, I love him dearly and they're like yeah we'll support you and I was like you don't you don't know me and they're like if these people are for you we're for you and they were incredibly supportive in that. 
um, CFR, Christian Financial Resources, who hopefully one day we get a loan through to buy a building. Uh, again, like didn't know the guy. He knew Chris Wells, sat down with him. He's like, we believe in you. And it was, it was like this weird mix of all these people who I'd been in, in kind of community with for a long time in the church world. A few of these churches offered me jobs previously to do like residencies. But again, it was like, Hey, you should come to a residency here for a year. We'll give you (laughs) $18,000 and you can live in someone's basement with your wife. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'd rather raise $8,000 in Ohio, which maybe that was a bad decision. I don't really know. Um, all these churches that were with us originally, I think in the end, I mean, they combined to give us maybe 50. And so instead of starting collective with, it was like 250 to $300,000 in support. In the end, it was like 125, which is not enough to plan a church in Maryland. But I think at that point we were like, whatever, if you're with us, you're with us. If you're not, you're not. And so for the next year we were in pre-launch mode and I was fundraising like crazy. I was trying to reach out to churches and get money from them. A lot of churches turned us down because again, you know, that big organization like had essentially told people don't support them. And, um, and so I, it kind of went back to, it's funny because it was almost like it was too easy with the original MOU and the original organization where we would get all this money. It was like, we can start a church. And it was like, you know what? I think God always wanted this church to be gritty. And so we had to grind to raise money. I went without pay, um, through most of pre-launch still. So we were about two years with just your salary with student loans and a baby. As a teacher, that's not a lot. (laughs) No, it wasn't great. I mean, it put us in a lot of stress there. Um, we couldn't really save. We nope. were just living paycheck to nope. paycheck. We had two cars that died us all the time. Um, it was hard. But, like, you know, we hit 2017, and we're like, we're starting this church. We start meeting people. Um, one of my favorite stories is uh, we bumped into a girl at a coffee shop, and I was wearing a shirt from one of the churches I worked in. And she was like, oh, did you know they're helping start a church in Frederick? And we're like, oh, that's crazy. And I was like, <laughs> oh, crap, that's us. Um, and she was one of our first baptisms. And, again, like, things were going really well until it wasn't. In the spring of that year, um, and we shared this in an earlier episode, so you should go back and listen to Chris and Maggie's story for the full details, but Chris was texting someone that wasn't his wife and found out that this was like a habit of his, and so before we ever launched, he was on paid leave, and there I am like trying to lead through, (laughs) you know, how do you, how are you a lead pastor of a church, leading a staff member who is texting women that aren't his wife, and um, with the help of our management team, we you know made the best decision we could and put him on paid leave for five months and sent him to therapy and all that. And but that was hard, you know. We were living in fear again of like this thing's gonna fall apart. And in June of that year, we had um, launch team members quit. We had to. I had to have a hard conversation with one family about the way they were treating a, a youth group that had come up to like do work in Frederick for us, and they created drama. Then another guy. Uh, part of the launch team was like, and it's hard to explain. I think he wanted more power. It it was really messy, but ultimately he left, uh, which we had a summer intern at the time, which meant our first intern was homeless. We love Nick Baylor and we're so thankful for him. But like this poor kid was living up here for a summer and the the host home was like, we're leaving collective and just left him like on the street. And um, he ended up living with Chris and Bethany Pennington, which is crazy because they weren't a part of collective at the time. And, and again, like we're in this pre-launch, we're like, gosh, everything's hard. Like everything's hard. But we had our like mindset on launch. 
And as hard as it was, we got into launch. Um, I explained to people that like, we were kind of limping going into it where um, it just was a beat down through everything. Um, but launch day came and you painted and I preached and there were 270 plus people there. And it was very surreal. Like after everything we had gone through to plant this church called Collective in Frederick, we got there. And I was overwhelmed. I cried a lot. (laughs) And it wasn't like a cry of like, oh, we made it. It was just a, this was all worth it. And it's weird to say that everything that we'd gone through and all the pain that we had gone through, all the fights that you and I had had, like as we wrestled through this, all the financial pain and stress, the relational pain and stress that we dealt with, it's hard to look at and be like, oh yeah, like it was totally worth it. But it really was like we, um, we got to start this thing and opening day was incredible. We have a picture, it's me and you and Elise and we're in the lobby and you could tell we're tired. <laughs> we both look pretty worn out, but there's just so much joy that this thing called Collective actually started. Um, I remember you telling me at one point, because you were painting, like your back was turned mm-hmm. to everybody, and you like turned around and were like, what the heck is going on here? There's actually people out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Was, I, I mean, I wasn't surprised. I was surprised at the number of people. Yeah. But, I mean, you always have your doubts. Like, is anyone even going to show up? Yeah. And then there were so many people. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. And that afternoon, we drove to Lake Linganore, and we baptized Janine and John and Tabby. I think we had dinner that night with, like, the Wells and maybe the Thompsons. And I was like, you know, if this thing ended right now, I think it was worth it. No church wants to end one Sunday in, but it very much felt like everything that we had gone through and everything that we had dreamt of, God had already shown us, like, here it is. Here's this church. And, you know, celebrating baptisms. And I was like, okay, like, I guess this is why you go through what you go through. Next few weeks were great. Uh, Then I get the message that there's more to Chris and Maggie's story than what I knew. We sat them down that night and Chris spilled his guts and, you know, at the time we were actually trying to get pregnant as well and we couldn't get pregnant. I mean, we've been trying for months and months and months and couldn't get pregnant and there we are eight weeks in going, okay, it's over. Just sitting there thinking like this, this is dead. Like there's no way collective is going to exist through this. Like we had at that point, I think when Chris resigned you know, Chris and Maggie being two of our closest friends, it was like that friendship's over. We want to grow our family, can't grow our family, fought to start this church, and here it is. Like it's just all going to fall apart. And like that October or so that no, that November and that December were like two really, really, really dark months where I think we were in that place again of going, should we have ever done this? what is happening to us? Like what's going on in this church? And we got to Christmas Eve. And at that point, you know, our attendance had bottomed out. Like we'd hit the lowest attendance we'd ever had like a few weeks before it. And I, I remember you and I talking like, this is going to die. 
I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life, right? We loved Frederick, so we knew we weren't going to leave Frederick. We loved this city. But, like, we had had the conversation of, like, well, you've got your job. You were working down in Montgomery County at the time, uh, making that brutal drive every single day. And it was like, well, I still think you should try to find a job in Frederick, and I'm just going to work here because we love this city, and we, we just can't keep moving. We can't keep doing new things. We'll drive to Mosaic, like, whatever it is. Collective is going to die. This is the end. And I think we were pretty much convinced that, like, December of 2017, it had just been too much. Then we had Christmas Eve. And 200-plus people showed up at Christmas Eve. And we got in the car, and we drove to your parents' house six hours away in Wise, Virginia. And it just felt different. It was like this weird assurance from God that we were going to be okay. And there wasn't really anything he gave us that said we would be okay. It's not like we got like a $100,000 check and was like, well, financially, we can do this for two more years. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was just like... I don't know. Like, it was just another one of those things where, at least for me, I was like, okay, God, like, we feel you. Yeah. Right? We see you. We wish it wasn't this hard, but we're going to keep going. We get down to Wise, have a good Christmas. We come back. We find out a few weeks later you're pregnant. We are convinced that (laughs) Harper is a Christmas Eve or Christmas pregnancy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, for those of you listening, you put two and two together about how that worked out, uh, being at Ray's parents' house. Um, but again, it was like, it felt like this promise that God was saying we're going to be okay. Like Harper was this like beautiful gift of like God saying like, no, you can start, your, you can continue your family here. You can set down roots here. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that there have been a few times in my life where I have like felt God's presence. Um, and I'm not like a super spiritual person yeah. and I, I won't say like I hear the voice of God um, in things, but I like I remember a time in high school where I was driving to school and I I was feeling really anxious about like just going in and like facing people and um, you know I had been through some stuff and I remember praying and I, f- I felt God. I felt Jesus like sitting next to me in the car, like I felt his presence. Um, And I felt him say, it's going to be okay because I'm here. I'm here. I'm here next to you. And I felt like that Christmas was the same sort of feeling. It was just, it wasn't anything tangible. It wasn't anything logical. It was just God saying, I'm here. I'm here with you. And, you know, through this journey of so many highs and lows and highs and lows and highs and lows um, and expectations and disappointments, we were finally doing the thing that all of those highs and lows and expectations and disappointments were aimed toward. And he was like, don't lose faith now. Like, you're here. You're doing it. You've finally gotten to where I wanted you all along. Don't lose faith now. I'm here. I mean, I think that that feeling is why we got pregnant, yeah. you know, and why we weren't able to before that. Yeah. I mean, Harper's our little angel. She Well, and she was born on September 17th of 2018, yeah. which was Collective's first birthday. Um, side note, Ray ran lights uh, while her water was probably... Leaking. Leaking. She was definitely like in labor, running lights on Collective's first birthday, 
um, which we celebrated on the 16th that year because that next Monday um, was Harper's birthday or Harper's born that day, but that was collective's like one year anniversary. Yeah, I went into labor on yep. the 17th, the morning of the 17th. Yep. You know, we talk about in this series that your story matters and the symbol is an, is an uncut key. And it's this idea that an uncut key doesn't unlock any doors, but a cut key does. But like the cuts hurt and they're painful and the ridges are deep and they're sharp. And I think that like everything that we have gone through has led to why collective is collective and why I lead the staff the way I lead the staff, why we care about people the way we care about people, um, why we preach on the things that we preach on, why, you know, you're willing to sit down and have a conversation with you and I I, on stage about confrontation because there's confrontation in marriage. And even though we were doing what God asked us to do, we had a lot of confrontation in our marriage during those seasons as, you know, we dealt with hard things, but also as we had to start healing as individuals, right? Just because you plant a church doesn't mean you're healthy. You've got to do the work. And, you know, collective is like the fruit of this really crazy journey that, that God sent us on. And a lot of it was like us, like feeling God's presence, but, you know, maybe not totally listening to God or trying to take shortcuts with God or even just being so unclear that, that it was like, well, we don't know. So we're just going to make this decision. And then a lot of it's going, no, God, we're going to do this. And yet both were hard, you know, but, you know, we hit that first year and to be honest, like, and it's not to say there haven't been hard things since then, right? Like we hit the year one, we go to two services that first birthday. Um, the next fall, we we launch our capital campaign to move into a space. Collective's growing like crazy. We baptized 40 people our second year. We started the capital campaign. COVID hits. Um, we're homeless. You know, part of the disadvantages of being a portable church is you don't have a home. And... Um, we ended up spending 52 weeks online, which was awful. Um, that is not my sweet spot. It burnt out a lot of our people, um, burnt out my staff. Um, meanwhile, we're building this, you know, renovating this building, which was essentially the project I led. And so I was here most mornings at four o'clock in the morning. I barely saw you. Yep. Working until eight or nine, coming home, getting the girls um, specifically when they're back in school or getting them to daycare, coming back to the building. I can't even count how many meals that you and I and our girls had in this building. <laughs> um, Amongst and, all the rubble. <laughs> yep. In the months leading up to it, like we were, it was like Tennessee all over again where, you know, we were just ships passing in the night. Meanwhile, you're managing online school and even going back to school and like all the rules there at um in frederick county mm-hmm. elise started kindergarten yep yep and again another season where it's like should we even go through this like i think at that point when COVID hit when we lost you know when we put in the money on the one building down the road and the landlord took us for 20 grand and people were sending me just the most disgusting emails about collective and their feelings toward collective and um, I remember getting on a phone call with one guy uh, when George Floyd was was killed and we put out, we were online, so I couldn't talk to our church, but I put out a video just talking about how racism is sin. Like it wasn't political. It was just like, hey, biblically, what does the Bible say, right? Every Everything we do at Collective goes back to what does scripture say? And so I, I did this like five minute, what does scripture say about the way we should treat other people and what how race plays a role in that? And you know, I, I get one email that's like, I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that 
even though they can't do it in front of everybody that they're going to put them out. And I got a phone call from one of the guys who I'd been friends with for years. He's like, you're racist. I'm like, I'm, he's like, what? And he's like, you, you're racist toward white people. Okay, like, have a good life, man. You know, people sending us these emails like, we're, we're going to another church because you're not meeting. And it's like, we're, we're homeless. Like, we're, we have no choice whether or not to meet. People who left Collective, because when we opened up, you know, there was a mask mandate in Maryland, and we just wanted to honor the mandate. You know, it was, it was awful. Like, it, it was just terrible. And, and, and one of the things that I understand is that during COVID, it was hard on everybody. There's also a piece of it, though, where a lot of those people took out their pain and frustration on us, um, specifically on me, you know, as I'm, you know, I, I think for January, February, March, until we opened this building, I think I was working 18 hours a day. There's a whole incident in there where I almost got into a fight with a stranger in a parking lot at Starbucks, which is a whole story for another time again, where I was like, wow, I'm not well, this is bad for us. And kind of like launch, we opened up this building and we go into it limping, but again, we opened this building. We're at one service collective before COVID. We had just broken 400 people going into this building. I think our first Sunday we were like 180. Um, but man, did it feel good. Yeah. It felt like home. Yeah. Um, to worship with people. Like, yeah. Just weepy. <laughs> you know, you forget how much you need this. And again, it goes back to these things that we've been through of like through so much of our pain the reason why we're still standing is because oftentimes we had good community and we had, you know, a few good churches that we were a part of. And some of our lowest moments are because we didn't have a good church to be a part of. And like coming back into collective that, that March of 2021, it was like, this is why this church has to exist. Right. For people like us. Yeah. <laughs> Who need this. Who need it. Yeah. Um, I say to people all the time, if God got us through 52 weeks of COVID and we're still standing as a church, there's a reason. From there, we went to two services and started growing again and fall of 2022 we knocked down the walls and added the collective kids space i did a lot less work on that project than on mm-hmm. the first one <laughs> you know and here we are fall of 2023 collective is over 500 people we've baptized 155 people in the history of this church yeah. we've seen our friends marriages healed um, we've seen our friends break addiction we've seen Kids grow up in this church. This is one always gets me. Kids who were kids when they first started here who are now middle and high schoolers who are getting baptized. Um, We've seen people who have worked in ministry come be a part of this church and fall in love with the church again. And it's just kind of crazy. Um, I think God has blessed this church way more than what we ever dreamt of more than what I think we ever asked for, I think more than what we deserve. This has been one of, like, the hardest, you know, we've been married almost 15 years. Uh, It's crazy to think it's, like, it took 15 years to get here, you know, Um, but our kids love this church. I think that's one of my my favorite things is our girls ask us all the time if they're going to church. They're, like, sad when you're not serving because then they only go to one service. Yeah. Oh, man, not both services. Yeah, they want to go to both services. It's easy to look back now, understand that it's still very hard. Like, I just need everybody listening to know, like, this is not easy. Being a lead pastor is hard. Um, There's this guy named Bob Buford who is known as, like, the father of modern management, like, super well-known in the business world. 
And he said, being a church planner specifically, or being a lead pastor, but specifically being a church planner is one of the three hardest jobs in the world. And he said it's up there with being the president of a college and being the president of the United States of America. And here's a dude who's like the guru of business. And he's like, we don't need to look at this any differently. Being the lead pastor and a church planner of a church is one of the most stressful, most difficult, most heartbreaking, while also being very fulfilling jobs in the world. And it feels that way. You know, there's so many great things going on at Collective. This is still really hard. Um, So as we come to a close on this episode, though, and there's still a lot of things that we didn't share. I mean, I think we could probably write a book about planning a church. Um, I want to ask you now that we're here, in light of all that we've been through, one, what does your faith feel like? Um, And two, how do you feel about the church in general? You're not collective, but like the church. And and where are you now? Growing up, I didn't have the same like bitterness toward the church that I like developed through this whole process. But I think that like being a part of collective and like serving here and seeing church the way that I truly think God intended it to be has erased a lot of that bitterness. And so it, it was sort of like a a wave of like the 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 working through all of that. I don't know about like the big church, like how I feel about that as much because I I do think like a lot of those politics and a lot of the things that made us jaded toward the church and like really, you know, moved us forward in creating collective still exist. Yeah. So I'm not going to be like the church is great i love everything about it because that's just not true we are still pretty much black sheep yeah (laughs) like even if it that didn't change no but i think like my faith in the idea that churches like collective can exist for people like us is stronger because we we made it through and i know that there are people with grit like us who will make it through as well and will continue to create churches that are for lost and broken people and not for perfect people who are good at playing the church game. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. My faith is much stronger now. Any relationship (laughs) gets stronger the more it is tried and tested and you come back to it time and time again. And I think um, God has seen me through a lot of like periods of time where I am very far away and periods of time where I come back and he is always there and he's been very faithful to me no matter how much I doubt him or question him or get very angry at him. (laughs) Um, So I think because I've experienced his faithfulness, that has made me trust him more and trust is not something that I do easily. And so because I trust him and because of his faithfulness, I think my faith in him is much stronger now than it ever has been. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know for me, I I just don't have any doubts anymore. And I have skepticism. You know, I'm I'm very much a black and white thinker where I want like all the proof. Like I understand there are things in Christianity that people are like, I want proof of the resurrection. Right. And what they want is a picture, which can't exist, you know. Um, or they want like an archaeological fact where it's like, no, 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 we found the DNA of Jesus in this tomb, which again, like science isn't there yet, you know? Um, is it possible one day? Maybe. 
but I know for me now, when I, when I look at collective, I just don't know after seeing everything that God has done in this church and in the lives of people in this church, I just, I just have full confidence. He is who he says he is. I just, I can't imagine. I mean, even to think about us, like just you and I and what God was able to do with this couple that got together at 19 years old, you know, where one didn't want to be a pastor and one didn't want to be a pastor's <laughs> wife, you know. <laughs> Sounds crazy when you say I it know, that It's way. insane. <laughs> it's insane. And like, but God put this burden on both of our hearts for people who don't know Jesus and for community and for creativity. And like a lot of things you see at Collective are just, it's God saying, this is, these are things that I created in you, like, go do it. I know my faith is always growing. I mean, I, my hope and prayer is that it's higher next year and the year after year after. But I just look at, like, my life and the trajectory I was on and to experience what God can do, for God to get us through the things he's gotten us through, for God to take all the garbage that we dealt with in Planning Collective and to turn it from bitterness into passion and desire and health and and strength, you know, boundaries, like all the things that came from it. It's like, I just, God is just so good. And, you know, we say this all the time privately, like we know that we don't deserve what God has given us as the people who started this church. We didn't earn any of it. Yeah. You know, it's all a gift from God, but man, are we just so thankful. Yeah. You know, that we get to be a part and watch life change, that we get to celebrate baptisms, that we get to watch people get healthier and marriages get healthier and kids grow up healthy, right? Like our kids, we joke all the time, they're still going to end up in therapy someday, (laughs) but they'll just maybe have to do a little bit less because of this church. Or they will get to do therapy because of this church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think we both feel very like unworthy of the roles that we have been placed in by God, but we're very grateful. Absolutely. You know, stepping back, the whole point of this podcast is you get to look back and and we can see God was moving in all of it, as painful as it was at times and frustrating as it was. So, you know, you and I both feel very lucky and very blessed and very grateful for this church. And I don't know, like after everything we've gone through, I don't know if I would trade any of it. Um, I wish I made better decisions along the way. Maybe there's a little bit less pain. You know, we're kind of living in this this wonderful community that God has given us. Two more questions as we close out the podcast. The first is advice, right? We always ask people at the end, like, what's some wisdom and advice? I know you said earlier, like, I don't have the words. And, I, you know, that's <laughs> like anything that you've learned that you want to share with other people through this journey and through what we share today in regard to faith. I think my advice for like anybody, and this is what I, I talk about and like our church planting circles <laughs> that we're part of is um, do do the thing that you were made to do and not the thing that someone else yeah. expects you to do yeah. and be the person that God made you. Um, and so, you know, as a pastor's wife, like I, I do production, I run production because God made me creative and he did not make me someone who wants to stand in the lobby and, you know, talk to people. That's just not who I am. Yeah. And when I tried to be that person, it felt wrong, and we were not successful. I can't remember exactly how Matthew worded it when we were in Colorado, but he said something along the lines of, God made you, you, and that person is not wrong. God was not wrong in the way that he made you. 
Um, and so just embrace the person that you are and not who anyone else expects you to be. Yeah. And I think the times in my life where I have been happiest and where I have felt God's presence the most are when I've stopped caring about other people's expectations of me and just, you know, tried to not impress others but impress myself. Um, if you are not proud of yourself, then that's what you need to worry yeah. about. Not, you know, is someone else proud of you? Did you make someone else happy? Are you the person that they want? But like, who is the person that you want? And and that's the person that God created you to be. That's good. I feel like in this podcast, I've given advice the whole time, not just this episode, but all this whole series. But I think the thing in, in telling our story that I would say is I just encourage people to trust God. He wants what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. Just just trust him. Consequences are consequences. You, you, like people in general try to avoid consequences in life. You can do the right thing and there's bad consequences. You can do the wrong thing. There's bad consequences. That's life, right? This is us dealing with other people. You know, I don't think what happened when we dissolved the MOU, I think God was very clearly telling us to do that, but I can't control how other people respond to that, right? But in general, I just I just encourage people to trust God. Just allow him to lead you. You know, I love Collective. There are a lot of people in this church, probably listening to this podcast right now, where God is very clearly telling them to do something, and they're just not doing it. And it's like, man, just do it. Trust Him. I get it's uncomfortable, and I get you're going to have to, like, have a conversation with, you know, people in your life about why you're making these changes in your life. But, like, trust what He has for you because He wants what's best. And, you know, and what that means is, like, for those who have been following Jesus for a long time who have never been baptized, like, Scripture tells you to do it. Just do it. Like, trust him. Trust what he set up for us. Trust what he designed for us. It's, you know, for those of you who are single and trying to find married people, trust what God says about keeping the marriage bed pure and going into marriage healthy. Like, if you are married, trust God when he says that you no longer are two but one. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Trust God, men, when it comes to what you're supposed to do in your marriage, which is laying down your life for your family, for your spouse. Like, Trust God when it comes to raising your kids and your career and your money because like everything he asks us to do, we have to understand that he understands better than we do what the next 5, 10, 15 years are going to look like. And it's going to be better when we trust him. It doesn't mean it will be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be hard things. But imagine doing all those hard things and making all the wrong decisions and what the output will be 10 years from now it's going to be significantly worse. Like just, just trust him, lean in, trust scripture and allow God to truly lead your life and watch what happens. Because I don't know if we are where we are, if there isn't a level, a high level of trust. Again, it hasn't been perfect, but generationally speaking, the sin that my parents brought into raising us, like the pain, the brokenness, all that, like our kids don't have because of Jesus and because of him telling us to live a different life. And so I can, I can go on and on about that. But. Well, and I feel like that's a really good point. And, like, you see it in in our story in that, like, the times that we trusted him, even though things still went wrong and it was still tumultuous and there was still, you know, all of this crap going on, we we felt peace because we, we could yep. feel that, yep. We were doing the thing that God has asked us to do, and it felt right. And so when, you know, it's not going to maybe change the 
actual outcome or it's not going to make everything fall into place and make everything go perfectly. And our story definitely exemplifies that. Um, but our our feeling of you know how we deal with all of the adversity changes when we trust God versus when we don't. Yeah. And so it made it quote unquote easier because we could feel that that was yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, and we didn't have to compromise what God was asking us to do for right. what other people were asking us. All right, so last question. If you had a favorite Bible verse, what would it be? Or even one that you felt like like during that season that was kind of the thing you held on to? I have a sunrise tattoo. And the Bible verse that that sort of like is encapsulated in this, um, or the Bible verse where that came from, is Lamentations 3.21. It says, well, it's 21 through. Uh, it says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I think that the reason why that Bible verse resonates me, resonates with me so much is the same, is what I was just talking about, is that like through everything, and the reason why my faith is where it is now is because I saw God's faithfulness throughout all of it. And so when, you know, highs and lows and all of that, God was faithful. And so that's, that is what I, that is what I cling to is this idea that I can still dare to hope. And I think every time something went wrong, there was still that hope that, okay, God called us to this and there's something in the future for us. I don't know what it is and I can't see it, but I know that God is faithful. And I very much am a person who, if something is going terribly and it's really hard for me to see that there will be a light at the end of this. Um, and so I, that verse reminds me that there's a morning and I'm not stuck here in this night and that um, the thing that I'm going through, the emotion that I'm feeling, whatever it is, there is an end to it. It is a season, it is a day, it is a night, and there's a sunrise on the horizon. That's good. That's also one of my favorite verses, but not the one I'm sharing. (laughs) Um, I think uh, this might be a theme for collective, but there are a lot of verses that I hold on to, but this is one that, that I just feel like is really relevant for my life. It's John 16, 33. It says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. There are times when I feel peace in the trials and sorrows, and it's because I can see Jesus moving in my life, and I can see him as someone who has overcome. It's one of those things that I remind myself constantly of while leading collective is that, you know, this isn't about me, this is about God, and at the end of the day, you know, we've already won. Like scripture says it, like the future is Jesus wins in the end. And that doesn't mean that everybody goes to heaven. And so one of the things is knowing that if victory is coming, like how do we get as many people to experience that victory as well? And just this idea of Jesus overcoming the world. And that means all the pain, all the problems, all the sin, you know, all the stuff that I've been through, worked through, all the stuff that you've been through, worked through, um, Jesus overcomes all of it. And that gives me peace in the middle of pain to know that, like, okay, it's not about me and it's about him. And if I just trust him, like, there's going to be there's going to be that peace feeling. So uh, I think that's just I feel like my life and our life and has had a lot of storms and a lot of trials and sorrows. But we've seen him overcome so much of it. And I feel like he's still overcoming a lot because, you know, you and I are both still doing a lot of work in therapy 
dealing with stuff that we've been holding on to for a long time in our childhoods and all that. Um, but then I have a little bit more hope, like you said, that there's, there is an overcoming coming. So it's one of my favorites. Um, Hey, thanks for joining me in planning a church. Mm -hmm. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) And for marrying a a preacher, even though you promised you wouldn't. I know. I know. I do want to say this as we close out this episode, obviously there's a lot more that we could have shared more details and, you know, we, we, we love telling the story of collective at this point, it's just become an eight hour episode instead of two, you know, one and a half hour episodes. Um, but I, I do want to say this for those of you listening and, and Ray would never say this. So I'm going to say it is so much of what you love about collective is Ray. And although she takes uh, a different role here and, um, you know, she serves on production, she, she gets in her sweet spot. A lot of the culture that we have is created and guided by her. And it's how she loves people. It's how creative she is. You know, it's how forgiving she is as a person. So a lot of the things you love about this church, and really I would say a lot of the things that you guys would say you love about me, understand that <laughs> this isn't me. It's uh, I have a really, 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 really great partner in this. And, um, and she has helped me become who I am along with Jesus. Um, and you see the overflow of that in this church. And so she doesn't want you to come up to her and tell her, uh, oh my gosh, like you're so amazing and you're so wonderful. Um, but I do challenge those of you, you listening, the next time you see Ray, just pat her on the shoulder, maybe no hugs, no patting on the shoulder, <laughs> wink at her from across the room. Um, Give me like a finger gun. Yeah, I do yeah. finger guns. You guys often tell me. I love high fives. <laughs> high fives work too. Yeah, uh, you guys often tell me how much you love this church and you guys often tell me how thankful you are for me and it, and it means the world to me. But man, would this church not be this church without Ray? She's so much of the power and the healing and the encouragement behind a lot of um, who I've become. So uh, give her a finger guns from across the lobby. Um, just let her know that you you see her and you, you understand that this wasn't a Michael thing. This was very much a Michael and Ray thing um, as we ventured into this 15 years ago. So thanks for sitting down and being on this side of the table and being on the podcast with me today and sharing part of our story. Um, thank you for dating me and um, marrying me. You're welcome. And encouraging me and being with me as we've ventured through these crazy 15 years and really the, the the crazy last six or seven of collective i would have given up a long time ago if you weren't as strong as you are and i'm thankful for that and i hope our church knows that i love you i love you